your Bible, and we're going to be in Luke chapter number two. Luke chapter two is where we're going to be today, and we were in Luke chapter number two last Sunday, and we're going to visit it again on this Sunday as we continue our series this morning, Strength for the Season. Luke chapter number two is a very familiar passage. But how many of you know we will never be able to fully exhaust all the wonderful content packed in these few words? And so I'm looking forward to diving in today. My kids are very excited about Christmas. And they've been asking me a lot of questions like, Dad, how long are you going to preach today? Like, let's keep it short so we can get home and uh, get the festivities going. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. In verse number 1, the Bible says this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was while they were there that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And today, for a few minutes, I'd like to speak about making room for Jesus. Making room for Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in today. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can come together and celebrate your birth. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the power of the incarnation, that you became flesh and dwelt among us. God, we're so thankful that you are not a distant God, but you desire to have a real close personal relationship with us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not know you, that today they would receive the greatest gift of the season, the gift of salvation. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would be able to glean exactly what you have for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning. When I was in college, I spent some time in the Philippines, and we were doing some missions work and going and traveling from church to church and uh, preaching the gospel. And one thing that always amazes me about the Philippines is how many people they can squeeze into one vehicle. And in the Philippines, they have something called a jeepney. How many of you ever heard of a jeepney before? And uh, it's kind of like this uh, no door, no window bus that you just kind of jump in. And and, uh, man, people just keep on piling in, piling in. And I remember one day we were getting ready to go up into a uh, church up in the mountains, this, uh, this village church way up in the mountains, and the only way that you could get there was by taking a motorcycle. And I was a little bit nervous about this. I'd never been on a motorcycle before, and I was kind of looking at this thinking, like, I don't even know if my mom would let me ride this motorcycle right now, but uh, this is the only way that we can get up there. So uh, I got on that motorcycle, and I didn't realize that not only would I be on that motorcycle, but four other people would also be on that motorcycle with me, five of us total, and three of us had luggage. And so we kind of just had luggage hanging out the side of the motorcycle, and we just made our way up. Uh, the mountain, the more the merrier, right? And uh, in the Philippines, they are proficient at making room for more. And this morning, we come to Luke chapter 2, this famous passage, and we are reminded of this 
shocking statement that there is no room in the inn for Jesus. When God sent his son to be born of a virgin to seek and to save that which was lost, the world couldn't even make room for Jesus. The Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. See, the culture today and society today is still struggling to make room for Jesus. Have you noticed this? We're trying to take Christ even out of Christmas, and we're trying to uh, distance ourselves as a society uh, from the things of God. And even in the, the Christmas season, with all the hustle and bustle and festivities and parties and so many things that we have to do, we're being pulled in so many directions and being distracted in so many ways. Often, even as followers of Jesus, we fail to make room for him. And so the question that I want us to consider on Christmas Eve for a few moments today is how can we make room for Jesus? Can I remind you that the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 18. It says, and he is the head of the body. Speaking of Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. By the way, it's not the pastor. It's not the pope. It's not a priest. That Can I remind you that Christ is the head of the church, that he is the head, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... He might have the preeminence, that in all things he deserves first place, whether it's December 25th or whether it's June 8th, that Jesus deserves the preeminence first place in our lives in every season. And so uh, we have to recognize today that now is not the time to kind of have Jesus as an add-on, that we're just going to kind of sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus too. No, Jesus deserves not just the prominence, he deserves the preeminence first place. In our lives. Now, we come to Luke chapter 2 this morning, and I think it's helpful to remember who is writing this from a human perspective. Uh, Luke is a detailed historian, Luke is a physician, we know. Luke is also somewhat of an investigative journalist. There was a wealthy man named Theophilus uh, that was living in the first century that was interested in this person of Jesus. He'd been hearing a lot about Jesus and some stories and some things about Jesus. And so Theophilus, being wealthy, funded and paid for Luke to go and to investigate this person, to investigate the eyewitnesses and to ask questions and and, uh, uh, to gain an understanding of Jesus. And so because of this, Luke, in his writings, and Luke in the book of Acts, he includes verifiable people and verifiable places so that when we read his account, we recognize that these details are rooted in fact. And so this this helps uh, us understand the validity to the message that we're studying this morning. Now, much of the details that Luke includes, these details would have been shocking for Mary and Joseph in the first century. Uh, Much of these details we are familiar with, but for Mary and Joseph, uh, these things would have come as a surprise. In Luke chapter number 1, an angel came and told Mary these things and told Joseph these things. And so they were told what would happen, but they weren't told how it would happen. And much of these details went differently than they might have thought. And uh, sometimes life can hand us unexpected circumstances that can challenge our faith. Uh, How many of you have ever received a Christmas gift that was just completely unexpected? Anybody like that just kind of took you off guard, completely unexpected? I was reading this week that a couple of days ago in Kentucky, there was a family that went out to a Christmas tree farm to pick out their tree. And uh, they picked out their tree, they brought it home, they decorated it, they set it all up, and they noticed that their tree was moving a little bit. And so they thought, there's something, there's something going on with our tree. And so they looked a little closer, and inside of their tree was a baby owl just kind of nestled into that tree. And, uh, and so they, they had an unexpected surprise <laughs> accompanying that uh, Christmas tree. I think there's one thing that all of us 
could agree with today, no matter what your background is this morning. I think all of us could agree that life is filled with the unexpected. Sometimes we're going to get an unexpected phone call from the doctor. Maybe an unexpected bill in the mail. How many of you know that's not a blessing when that happens? Maybe an unexpected text message in a certain relationship. And this can be frustrating when life doesn't go as we thought it should go. Because all of us have dreams and plans and goals, and and, uh, we all have a vision of how we would like things to go. But then when things are different than we thought, we can get frustrated. Like I thought by now that uh, we would be able to have children. But that has not come to fruition. I thought by now that my marriage would be happy, but we're still struggling. I, I thought by now that we would have more in savings, but that hasn't uh, happened. And, and when we uh, experience something different than what we expected, we can often be frustrated. But can I remind you, when your, uh, uh, when your experience is different than what you thought it would be, that the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways uh, your ways, saith the Lord. I'm so thankful today that when life goes differently than we expected, we can rest assured that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and he always has a plan even when we can't see it. And so for Mary and Joseph, much of what unfolds is different than they thought, but it was far more powerful than they could have ever imagined. And so today as we look to Luke chapter 2 and we study verses 1 through 7, uh, what I'd like to do just very simply this morning is give us three ways that we can make room for Jesus in this season. Does that sound okay with everybody today? Three ways. Number, number one is this. We have to acknowledge who is king. We have to acknowledge who really is king in our lives. Let's pick up our text in verse number one. If you can see, see it, would you say amen? amen? And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Caesar Augustus is the Roman emperor. At this time, he is the most powerful man in all the world. Uh, The Roman Empire covered such a vast territory that when it says that all the world should be taxed, this was pretty much all known civilization was under the Roman Empire. And so Caesar Augustus was a very uh, powerful, very influential uh, man. And uh, Caesar Augustus had a great uncle who you may have heard of. His name was Julius Caesar. And just to kind of give you uh, an example of the kind of influence that they had on history, Uh, Our month of July is named after Julius Caesar, and our month of August is named after Caesar Augustus from Luke chapter number two. And so these men were very influential, uh, very powerful, and Caesar Augustus, uh, he was... He was one that was struggling with really self-exaltation. In fact, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he said this. He said, when this man became imperator, And the matter was under discussion as to what title he should assume. He declined to be called dictator, which suggested a temporary office. He declined to be called king, as it did not signify enough. In consultation with the Roman Senate, this name, Augustus, was created for him. Augustus meaning the exalted one. And so Augustus thought, what am I going to be called? King? Not good enough. Emperor? Not good enough. Augustus, the exalted one? I like that. And I find it fascinating that under Caesar Augustus's reign, that there is a baby that would be born, and that baby is the true exalted one. He is the true king of kings and lord of lords. This is God 
in the flesh. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9 says this, uh, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is something that we ought to celebrate and be thankful for on Christmas Eve. I believe that Caesar Augustus, the exalted one, he reveals a problem that is within all of us, and that is the trap of self-exaltation. When we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, when life becomes all about me, my dreams, my goals, my problems, my desires, it's all about me. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so self-exaltation is simply the first step to self-destruction when we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Notice what it says in verse number two. So we have Caesar Augustus, the exalted one. Notice verse two. It says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, this taxing. And so uh, Caesar Augustus uh, really deployed a worldwide census. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I tried to get a job with the Census Bureau, and uh, I did not get that job, although I would have been great at it. And uh, uh, he was essentially sending out a worldwide census. What did he want to know? He wanted to know how many people were living in his empire so that he could know how many people he could tax and how many people he could employ and recruit for his military. And so in other words, Caesar Augustus was trying to figure out how much power he exactly had. He wanted to know how much strength he had, how much money can I have. And so he uh, deploys this census, this registration, where everyone would have to go to their own city. In fact, notice what it says in verse number three. It says, and all went to be taxed, all went to be registered, verse three, everyone into his own city. Now, this is a very significant detail that everyone was ordered by the Roman emperor, by the exalted one, to go and be registered in the city in which they came from. So they had to go to their own city. Now, the reason this is significant is because if you remember in week number one of this series that the prophet Micah, 700 years before, prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And now Mary and Joseph recognize, man, we have to go and we have to be registered. We have to uh, partake in this census. And so they go where their lineage was from, which was all the way back to Bethlehem. And so while it looked like Caesar Augustus was calling the shots, can I tell you it was really God calling the shots? that he is the one true king, that, that he is the one who is sovereign, that he is the one who is in control. And something that I've learned is that to show us that he is in control, God will often place us in a season that we can't control. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Because if we can control it, then we'll control it. Yeah. And we'll rely on ourselves. Yeah. So God will often place us in a season that we can't control to show us that we have to rely and to trust on him to orchestrate every detail. And so they were going everyone into his own city. H.A. Ironside said this, God had set the whole world in motion. Millions of people going to their own cities to be enrolled for the taxation in order that one prophecy in the Old Testament might be fulfilled on time. Aren't you thankful for Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God's providential hand moved the entire world to fulfill this one prophecy. And so today we have to acknowledge who is king. It's not Caesar Augustus. 
It's not you or me. Uh, Jesus Christ is king. Uh, Secondly, today, if you're taking notes, not only should we acknowledge who is king, but secondly, we should allow for inconvenience. In our lives, we have to allow for inconvenience. Now, nobody likes to be inconvenienced, right? Uh, When something is inconvenient, that's a frustration for us. In fact, Kate and I were having this debate the other day. There's two types of people in this world, people who valet park and people who do not valet park. Okay, how many of you would say, I like to valet park? That's what team I'm on. How many of you are like, I refuse to valet park? It's a waste of money. Okay, and uh, growing up, my dad would always valet park anywhere, anywhere we went, anywhere we went, he would valet park. Katie's family, she she didn't grow up in a family that valet park, they they didn't do that. And so, when we got married, this was a tension point for us. And I eventually had to say, as for me and my house, we will valet park, this is just what we're gonna do. And uh, now, now, before I get some mean emails from some of you, I understand that sometimes it's not prudent to valet park, okay? Uh, there are times when it's not wise to spend money to do that. Uh, so I don't always valet park, but can I tell you, I am always tempted, okay? And uh, why? Because it's convenient, right? I just love, just toss them the keys. You know, that's a great feeling, right? And uh, valet parking is convenient. We are living in a culture that is conditioned for convenience. We like things that are quick. We like things that are easy. We like things that are convenient, so much so that when something is inconvenient, we think something has gone wrong. But what happens when the inconvenience is not actually an interruption? What happens when the inconvenience is actually an invitation to the will of God? Because for Mary and Joseph, nothing about this season was convenient. To travel to all the way to Bethlehem when Mary was great with child, this was not a convenient season. Uh, But God was going to use this inconvenience to accomplish his great purpose to bring redemption for humanity. I want you to see a couple of things about this inconvenience. First, I want you to see their submission found in verse number four. Notice what it says. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. I find it interesting that Joseph right away upon hearing this census, this registration, that he goes to Bethlehem. He submits. It's interesting that Joseph didn't say, you know what, Caesar Augustus, I'm not going to do this. Mary's great with child. You think we're going to travel 75 miles uh, all the way to Bethlehem, which was 2,300 miles above sea level? You think we're going to travel uphill 75 miles just for this census? You know what, Caesar Augustus, you can go pound sand. We're not going to do this. But that's not what Joseph does. He says, okay, they've issued this decree. They've issued this order. And so I'm going to submit to it. You know, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 13, verse number one, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power, but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Can I remind you today that God is the author of all authority, that all powers that be are ordained of God. And so as good citizens, we're called to uh, submit to that authority. Now, of course, there are times if the authorities at large, the authorities uh, that are in control are commanding us or telling us to do something that is contrary to God's word. We recognize that the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 or summer 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so at the end of the day, we recognize that God is our ultimate authority and our final authority is the word of God. And this is what we submit to. But I find it interesting that Joseph didn't rebel against this command. He submitted to it. And in so doing, he found himself in the center of God's will, traveling to Bethlehem. But not only their submission, their struggle. Because at the end of verse number five, it says, or it says in verse number five, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. How many of you 
get stressed traveling. Can I see your hands? You're a stressed traveler. And uh, if you're supposed to be at the airport an hour early, you like to be there two hours early. Is that anybody like that? And uh, Mary and Joseph, they were, they were traveling uh, from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. Mary, the Bible says, is great with child. On top of everything else that they've gone through. On top of everyone else in their lives not fully understanding and even labeling and saying, this is scandalous that Mary is pregnant. Joseph had to put her in hiding. While they're processing the magnitude of what the angels spoke to them and, and uh, uh, who Mary would be giving birth to. And at, at they're processing all of this. And now on top of all of this, they've got to travel all the way to Bethlehem for this census. This was a struggle. This was an inconvenience. I was reading recently. There's this really cool photo of an Olympic athlete named Jim Thorpe. I think we have a picture of it this morning. And he was an Olympic athlete. And during the 1912 Olympics, Jim was running track and field for the United States. And just before the race, his shoes were stolen. And so if you look closely at this picture, if you go to the next picture, he's actually wearing two different shoes. And the reason for that is right before the race, he went and, uh, and he went into the trash can and he found these shoes in the trash can. And one, si one uh, shoe size didn't fit him at all, so he had to wear that extra thick uh, white sock just so the shoe would fit him properly. And uh, I looked at that picture and I thought, that's pretty amazing because that day he went on to win two gold medals. Here's the truth this morning. Adversity is simply an opportunity to accomplish something great. And sometimes in our lives, God will allow the adversity. He will allow the inconvenience so that he can accomplish something special, something extraordinary in our lives. And we have to be willing to allow the inconvenience. I'm going to let God get me uncomfortable so he can accomplish something great in my life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I don't know who needs to hear it on Christmas Eve, but your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Acknowledge who is king. Jesus is in control. Even if it seems like Caesar Augustus is calling the shots, Jesus is in control. We have to allow for inconvenience. Here's a third thought today, number three. We have to activate our faith. Activate your faith. Uh, faith is not something that we talk about. Faith is not something that we simply say. Faith at the end of the day is something that we do. Faith is something we deploy. It's something we activate. Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. And so we have to learn to activate and to deploy our faith. Notice what our text says in verse number six. It says this. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. I love that phrase. The days were accomplished. It was accomplished. I love that phrase because that phrase is stated at Jesus' birth. The days were accomplished. But that phrase is also stated at Jesus' death. Because the Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And so even at his birth, we are reminded of his death. Can I just encourage you today? You can mark it down. God never fails to accomplish his purpose. God will always finish that which he starts. It was accomplished. It came to pass. Now, there's two things here that I want us to see as we close today. I want us to see the development of faith. Notice verse number seven. It says this. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, for a moment, I want to talk about the promise that Mary received 
and then the reality that she experienced. Because from a limited human perspective, it seems like there was a disconnect between the promise that she received and then the reality that she experienced. Just to show you what I mean, let me tell you the promise that she received from the angel. Everybody still with me today? Notice what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, Mary, among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. This was the promise that Mary received. But now we're in Luke chapter number two. And Mary's looking around thinking, this went a little different than I thought. I can't help but imagine Mary just in her mind thinking about that promise from the angel. Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord has favored you, Mary. What's that, Joseph? There's no room in the inn? She's thinking in her mind, your, your, your son is going to be the son of the highest, and he shall be great. And then Joseph says, what about this feeding trough, Mary? You think that'll work? From a limited, finite human perspective, it just seems like there's a disconnect between the promise and the reality of that promise. But I believe that God was stretching their faith. And sometimes our vision doesn't match our reality. But the reality in God's plan is always better than anything that we could have ever imagined. It didn't quite make sense. It was different than they thought, but God was doing something special. He was he was stretching their faith. Maybe today you're looking at the circumstances in your life and you're thinking, man, this is different than I thought. This is not how I expected things to go. And I want to encourage you, now is not the time to give up on your faith. Now is the time to activate your faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Not only the, the development of faith, but I want you to see the demonstration of humility. It says in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The inn. So sometimes we read the word inn and we kind of think of like a hotel chain, like Holiday Inn or the Red Roof Inn. And she was kind of just showing up and Joseph and they're trying to get a room in the hotel chain. But there's a couple different words for inn in scripture. One word means a hostel or a hotel. That's not the word used in Luke chapter two, verse number seven. The word used, the Greek word used in Luke chapter two, verse number seven for inn, all it means is simply an enclosure. And this word was often used for uh, just kind of an enclosure that was attached to the side of a building, uh, to the side of a home that where the travelers would come through and they would kind of keep their stuff and their animals in this uh, enclosure. That was the inn. And so even if there was room in the inn, it still was not worthy of the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God sent his son into the most extreme poverty imaginable. There wasn't even room in that inn for Jesus. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Aren't you thankful for that today? God, eternally wealthy, eternally mighty, enters into poverty to demonstrate great humility. And I find it ironic that in verse number one of our text, we have the arrogance of an earthly king, and in verse number seven, we have the humility of an eternal king. 
Jesus, born in a manger. Matthew Henry said this, to, get, to make this humility practical for us. Matthew Henry said, he well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed, how we desire to have our children decorated and indulged, how apt the poor are to envy the rich, how prone the rich to disdain the poor. But when we by faith view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. Can I remind you that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The last part of verse number seven says there was no room for them in the end. We know that in our society, in our culture today, people struggle to make room for Jesus. But I want to give you an encouraging thought as we close this morning. Anybody ready for an encouraging thought today? If you make room for Jesus, he'll make room for you. Luke chapter two is famous for this verse saying, there's no room in the end. There's another passage in John chapter 14 that's famous for the exact opposite. I want you to see it in John chapter 14 today. It says in John 14, verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. There's many mansions. Now, sometimes we can get excited about the thought and the prospect of our mansions. Like I want my mansion to have a basketball court in the back and a lake out front. And we can be thinking about, you know, how big our mansion is going to be. Can I tell you the word mansions in that verse simply means this rooms. In other words, Jesus saying, in my father's house, there's a room for you. In my father's house, there's a place for you. In my father's house, there's room enough for anyone. There is a place for you that my father is preparing for you. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And as we celebrate this first Advent, we look ahead and we are reminded that there will be another Advent, another arrival, that Jesus is coming again. He says, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. He says, you know. And then Thomas, the disciple, said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Thomas is like, actually, he raises his hand and says, can you um, give us some directions on this? You say we know, but, but maybe you could just remind us. I know we all know, but just for the sake, if there's anyone that doesn't know, could you tell us the way? Which way? And then Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Can I tell you there is an exclusive claim from Jesus that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And today we can have a home in heaven through Jesus and Jesus alone. There is plenty of room in heaven for you if you'll make room in your heart for Jesus. J.A. Packer said the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. C.S. Lewis famously said, the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. That we could become the children of God. Now you might be wondering this morning at this 930 service, well, how do I become a child of God? Just like Thomas was wondering, I'd like, heaven sounds great, Jesus, but I'd like to know how to get there. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so this morning, if you're here and you're wondering, I don't know for sure, so maybe someone invited you today, maybe you're, you're coming uh, today out of the tradition of a Christmas Eve service, but maybe there is some doubt in your heart like Thomas that would say, I, I actually am not 100% sure. I'd like to know that if I were to die today, where I'd spend eternity, I'd like to know that I have a home in heaven, but I don't know for certain. And I would say today you can receive the greatest gift you could ever receive, and that is the gift of salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not by works. It's not by religion. It's not by the church. It's only through Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so today, the only question is, will you make room for Jesus and invite him in to be Lord of your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.